Good afternoon. Uh, I apologize for my voice. I've been doing too much conversations uh, this week, but we'll see the best way we can get through this. My name is Abel Cruz. I am a technical BD in the AWS Service Catalog. And before I call to the stage my friends, Jean uh, Lee and Christine, um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a quick overview of AWS Service Catalog. And I'm going to try to frame the rest of the conversation that we're going to have, which is why did Deloitte choose AWS Service Catalog to manage and deploy a very complex healthcare and life science application that is used for uh, uh, machine, you know, that uses machine learning and uh, predictive analytics in that space. So, uh, very quickly, I want to share with you what we're going to cover. We're going to do that uh, overview of uh, AWS Service Catalog. After that, my colleagues here will uh, tell you a little bit about that their platform, which is called Converge Health Miner. Uh, what it is, what it does, some of the challenges that they have encountered uh, in trying, you know, in trying to deploy this application uh, at a customer's AWS environment. How do they go about trying to solve those challenges using AWS Service Catalog? And uh, later on, at the end, we're going to see a demo, and then we're going to summarize some of the uh, uh, opportunities that we encounter in going in that direction. So with that, let's uh, get started and talk about um, Service Catalog. So for today's digital businesses, the cloud-first strategy is well on its way. And I think that you can agree with me that the, one of the main reasons why that's happening is because a cloud-first uh, mindset actually can enable virtually infinite scalability, agility, cost reduction, and much more. However, the unrestrained use of cloud services can actually challenge IT organizations with potential cost overruns, changes in their security posture, and other potential items that can cause risk uh, to the organization. But to capitalize on the agility that the cloud promises, organizations need to embrace new tools and new processes that would allow them to take advantage of the cloud while retaining proper security, compliance, and more importantly, their uh, operational guidance that they need. And that's precisely where Service Catalog comes and shines as a tool. AWS Service Catalog allows organization to quickly take advantage of that cloud-first mentality. And as they go from their current environment to the cloud, they can do it quickly and retaining proper security, compliance, and governance. So here's an example of that unrestrained use of the cloud that I was referring to earlier. Let's say, for example, a, an end user is interested in launching a virtual machine. 
the, if you give them unrestricted access to AWS, that user will go to the AWS console and find that they have a uh, number or a broad set of services that are available. Even just within the context of a um, virtual machine, they'll find multiple sizes and with multiple configurations. And all those can create confusion to, the, to many users. They may think that they know what they want, but they're not sure how to properly configure to make sure that it meets compliance for the organization, and whether or not it will actually meet the, the security requirements that um, the team or the organization requires. So as a consequence, if the user launches something perhaps either at, at random or thinking that what they chose is the right thing, the organization may end up incurring a tremendous amount of cost because they chose a very large uh, uh, virtual machine when in reality they may have needed just a small one. Or maybe that virtual machine was not properly configured and at the end they end up putting the organization at risk because that virtual machine ended up with some ports op open and now the organization is facing potentially some security and or data breaches. So how can an organization still allow the end user to take advantage of that agility uh, that the cloud promises with a proper security? Enter Service Catalog. With Service Catalog, you can actually take your solution that runs on AWS, and whether that solution happens to be native AWS services, your own IP that you built that runs on AWS, or a combination of your IP with AWS services or even third-party products that came from AWS Marketplace, and you use infrastructure as code in the form of either JSON or YAML or Terraform, and you define this, the modules that you want to uh, use in your solution. And you will see when uh, my colleagues here from Deloitte speak, how they have actually modularized the application. Think of it as a, a mini microservices or Lego blocks that allow them to very quickly uh, take uh, an, an application and make it into smaller modules that allows them to deploy it very, you know, very quickly in different, uh, in different uh, uh, configurations and even different regions, um, while at the same time ensuring that every time that that application and service gets deployed, it will always meet compliance, security, and governance. Why? Because you bake that into the infrastructure as code uh, component. Now, once you do that, the end result is that you have now, with the proper uh, controls that you've baked into that solution using AWS Service Catalog, right? The guardrails, the tagging, the constraints, you end up with a customized portal just for that user, where that user gets to see only the products and services that they have been assigned to and every time that they deploy those products, that product gets deployed consistently with the same set of securities that you want them to be uh, set in the environment in which you want it to be uh, deployed. And the, the user doesn't have to worry about whether or not that solution will cost too much or too little. 
because even cost allocation can be controlled. Uh, you can also uh, enable approvals uh, to make sure that only uh, certain uh, managers or, or superiors can approve the deployment of, the, of those solutions. And that creates a much simpler environment for your organization. On the one hand, central IT or cloud center, center of excellence ensures that the solution always deploys correctly, is probably secure, it will meet budget, et cetera, et cetera. And the end user doesn't have to worry about, am I breaking the rules? I can just simply use it, get my job done, and move on. So the, the job or the uh, process that the service catalog administrator does creates this much simpler experience. As I said earlier, you take the, your, your uh, solution, you create a product, which is that fundamental building block that you may want to give to your, uh, to your end user. It could be as simple as an EC2 instance, or it can be as complex as the application that we're going to see Deloitte show to us, right? It's up to you. And then those products are classified or categorized into what we call portfolios. And these portfolios are nothing more than just a mechanism to uh, ensure that a set of products are uh, either assigned to a specific set of user, like I can say, this is the portfolio for my dev and test people. This is my portfolio for my data scientists. This is my portfolio for my financial people, et cetera, et cetera. And after I have that, I can then add the right guardrails. And those guardrails are the constraints that will help you define things like who, what, where, etc. Who? Who can do this? Where? Excuse me. Where can they do this? In which environment? Etc. Etc. And that process enables that simple UI that your end users get to see with only the products and services that they are allowed, which, by the way, have already been curated. Now, as your organization starts taking advantage of AWS Service Catalog, it is inevitable that you're going to run into a shift in your operational practices. Why? Because all of a sudden now you don't have to be concerned about creating end-to-end -end solutions from the beginning. You can create more modular microservices, if you will, and move into this mode of a virtual assembly line, if you will, where you have individuals that are dedicated to gather requirements from the business. Those requirements get run or passed on to architects who can do the architecture of that solution. And then you have quality assurance people that are providing their input. And I want to tell you a little bit about quality assurance. Quality assurance within this context is not just software security, by the way. This includes things like procurement, meaning do I have the right license at the right time? What about budgets? Can I launch something based on how much money this is going to cost and how much the budget for that individual or that department is. And by going from the mostly manual process that is used today to this automated uh, virtual assembly line, 
you end up with what we like to call exclusions of factory. And all of a sudden, you can actually start producing products and services much faster with the right compliance, with the right security, with the right guardrails for your organization, publish them to the catalog, and your users simply start using the products that have been pre-approved right from the catalog, knowing that everything else behind it, whether it's security, compliance, budgets, or anything else, has been taken care of from the beginning. Now, from the end user's perspective, whether you as an organization chooses to deliver all those products that the, uh, that the solutions factory is outputting into your catalog, uh, get displayed to them or made available to them via your traditional ITSM tools, or you want to continue to use the AWS service catalog, or even your own internal proprietary portal, the user experience remains the same. So if today you use BMC or ServiceNow or ShareWell, you can continue to do that because there's an integration point. What does that really mean? It means that I can actually publish my products into ServiceNow. And the user can go to ServiceNow, request to launch the product from ServiceNow, and everything else that you already have implemented in your organization, whether it's workflows, approvals, et cetera, within the context of ServiceNow, still take effect. At the end, the beautiful thing is that the end user receives his, his or her product that they need to do their work. But what's even more important is that that end user doesn't even need to have access to AWS at all because AWS Service Catalog can abstract that away from the user. What does that mean? It means that you can actually have user using AWS-based products and services. Very simple products like EC2 or RDS, or very complex products like a healthcare and life sciences application like the one we're gonna see, and they don't even need to have access to AWS at all. Now, before I turn the uh, stage to my colleagues here, I want to say this model that Service Catalog provides works for all types of organizations. Whether your organization happens to be a central IT organization or a cloud center of excellence organization, or whether you happen to be a system integrator or a cloud service provider, AWS Service Catalog gives you the ability to actually deliver your products through a catalog to your customers, either directly through the catalog or in hub and spoke model, which uh, my colleague here, Jane Lee, is gonna talk about. Because business models should not be a restriction on how do you deliver those services to your customers. And AWS Service Catalog enables to do that. So with that, I'm gonna turn the stage to my colleagues here in Deloitte, Jane Lee and uh, Christine, the stage is yours. Can you hear me? Oh, great. Uh, I'll start by introducing myself, uh, Jinlei Liu, uh, VP of Product Development at Converge House by Deloitte. I lead engineering team build product that serves our life science client. So what's gonna talk about today is how Converge House product team 
use service catalog to package our products into self-service solutions, use service catalog to deliver our solutions to our client in a consistent, secure way. And most importantly, cut our deployment time from days to minutes. So what we're going to use uh, as a case study is a product called ConvertChild's minor product suite. We're going to share our journey of packing this complex solution into service catalog. And if you stay through the end of the session, you're going to see a live demo of product service catalog. Before I jump into the technical discussion, I would like to invite my colleagues, Chris and Costa, to talk a little bit more about what we do at ConvertHouse and through the lenses of an end user as a data scientist, talk about what business problem this ConvertHouse minor products we do for our life science clients. Kristen. Thank you, Jin Lei. As Jin Lei said, my name is Kristen Koska. I'm a data science lead within Converge Health, and I am not an engineer. I just play one on TV. I am an epidemiologist by training, and I'm sure by now you're wondering what is Converge Health, and it's totally okay if you've never heard of us before because Converge Health is an innovation factory. We are building products and solutions for specific business problems, and our particular team is inside of life sciences and healthcare. And as you can imagine, a lot is going on in the marketplace right now that's changing how we do business and how we are as scientists. Patients are moving to the center. And we are seeing that data is becoming a currency to everything we do. We have a lot of artificial intelligence that we are trying to leverage. And we're thinking very critically about how do we start a dialogue about value and personalizing care. And in doing so, we are helping pharmaceutical companies enhance their insights and create collaboration across all of the multitude of data sets that they sit on top of. But it might be worth saying, just because I don't assume you all are epidemiologists as well, what is real world data? Inside of life sciences and healthcare, it means something very specific. It means data that is captured outside of the controlled clinical trial. This can be your electronic health records, your insurance claims, your wearable devices. It can be things that you self-report in apps or in registries. And data by itself is not evidence. You have to apply statistical methods to actually create evidence. And in doing so, the transformation from data to evidence is the continuation of generating that insight. And it has the potential to accelerate a process that right now takes anywhere from 15 to 20 years to go from bench to bedside. And we are seeing this time and time again, that the patient's journey is being appreciated quite uniquely, and the data sources that we have are helping generate unique evidence. And we're even seeing new ways of defining therapeutics. We have software as a medical device, which is literally the epitome of innovation, taking data and wearables and delivering innovation to you in where you are. It's pretty amazing. And we are really excited about this, but as scientists, it means we have to wrap our arms around a lot more than we used to. And that's where Converge Health Minor comes in. We are looking across what we call the evidence life cycle from early research and discovery all the way through to commercialization of molecules. And there are many, many use cases under that umbrella. 
and it has to inherently be open and modular because that's the only way you can serve so many use cases. It could start in the beginning, looking for your bioassays, exploring your data and your knowledge layer, figuring out what your colleagues have done. You're not usually the first person to ask the question, but sometimes it's hard to find the artifacts of other investigations. There's also a piece of just being able to touch and feel the data in your own way for your specific question. Maybe you work in market access and you're trying to understand unmet need, patients who aren't getting the right therapies because we don't understand their personal healthcare journey. Maybe you're all the way into commercialization and you're monitoring trends and understanding your global impact as you begin to serve different markets. There's a whole continuum of use cases there and there's a lot of advanced analytics and predictive modeling that goes into that, a lot of self-service visualizations that need to be available. And more importantly, we're trying to make it easier to then use this information and share it to collaborate so that you can influence and change the dialogue to be a data-driven decision-making process. And that is really the heart of Converge Health Minor. In a little while, I'm gonna show you what it looks like when you touch and feel, but as you imagine, addressing that from an engineering standpoint is no small feat. And there are a lot of complexities that go into enabling so many different levels of interaction with your, your cloud environment. And that's what Jinlei is gonna walk us through right now, really the unique complexities of serving such a diverse user base. Thank you, Kristen. All right. All right, so let's talk about the challenge we run into as we deliver this robot evidence capability to our client. There's two major ones. First and foremost, the complexity of the solution. As Kristen mentioned, lots of our life science clients have been using this case capability across the life cycle of medical product development. That could be from the early discovery, finding uh, molecules for target using genome data or clinical data altogether, to in the clinical settings, finding the right patient for your clinical trial, to at the post-market stage, you know, monitor the safety of your particular drug in the market, they all require different components, storage, analytics capabilities, and visualizations, and sometimes all these combine together to a particular region to serve the whole enterprise. That's a complexity of our software. We're gonna talk a little bit later. The second part is the complexity that got involved when we deploy this to a client's cloud environment. As you can imagine, a software and enterprise capability like this very often requires our clients to consider this to build additional capabilities on top of this platform. Hence, they very frequently require this capability to be deployed into their cloud environment. And we probably can all imagine when you deploy an enterprise solution like this into a cloud VPC, it's a lot of challenge you're gonna get into. We're gonna talk, talk about that later as well. Let's take a quick look of the various components that within this RWB solution. Just like any enterprise level solutions, they are multi-tier uh, architecture. The data layer, the analysis layer, the application layer, and the knowledge management layer all in place. Let's talk a little more about the data layer. As we mentioned, we're dealing with lots of various data types from what the purchased EMR data, the hospital data, to insurance claims data, to genomic data, that's all comes in in a terabyte structure, in a binary format, um, to 
the IoT devices, medical, you know, inf medical devices as well as actually social media and everything all combines together, those all needs to be in put into a multi-region data layer that allows various users to find that data and use that data properly. So we're going to see in the technology component, we have S3, we have Glacier, we have um, EMR in place, we sometimes have um, Redshift and RDS, all combines works together as a data layer. The analysis layer is not a good example of the complexity of the solution. Imagine that you have a simple request to just visualize some of these data captured through a register to some of the advanced data analysis using unsupervised machine learning so that you can identify some target, as we see using SageMaker to run a lot of cool stuff, to some basic um, genomic sequencing analysis. Genome-wide uh, sequence analysis requires thousands of nodes all spin up together run that for probably an hour, spin them all the way down, and so that you can find a multivariate association. It requires that elastic computing, storage, various tools, all these readily available for the data scientists when they need it, and spin them down when they actually complete their work so you don't have to be charged by the uh, Amazon fees. Right? Uh, and there's a lots of application requirements as well, as you probably can imagine, there is a lot of requests coming to, I really need this application to be integrated so that you can leverage the data and analysis you provided from this. So where you see a lot of cohort selection, explore the data, running self-service analysis as a tool to actually visualize a particular therapeutic area's uh, interest, um, as well as actually the things like that we have as a data scientist using their favorite tools such as, you know, Pythons and you know, uh, ours using their Jupyter notebooks or SAS to all get all these together to run their analysis. Bring this all together is the knowledge management layer. As an institution, it's equally important to share the knowledge, the data that's been used to generate those knowledge, the previous study and analysis all in one place. So when you, when you, as a data scientist, start a study, you have a place to find all this information and find the information you can reuse. There are some examples, for example, I mean, as simple as how do you define a disease? For example, how do you define a disease for a diabetes patient? It could be as simple as just asking this, but it could become as complex as, in order to stratify diabetes patients, I need to look into the patient diagnosis code in ICD-10 and probably ICD-9 as well. I need to look into medication, but exclude certain medications because something condition. And then exclude some previous conditions as, you know, uh, pregnancy, et cetera. So those all institution knowledges, you need to package them together so when you do analysis, you can reuse this over and over and generate the same result. As you can imagine, as we're putting all these stuff together, there are lots of combinations we have to put it in. You know, some of these, gonna, some of these solutions are going to use Redshift plus some additional tools to support your analysis. Some other ones are going to actually need a HPC environment together with your S3 to bake a much bigger club, the analysis and data hub. Right? And all these give us the complexity of uh, thinking about how do we deliver this to a client in a way that does not, you know, creating a thousands a combination of it, um, our solution. We also mentioned 
the deployment challenges, right? Because this is a, such an enterprise capability, we have to put this into our client's VPC environment. As we probably all know, the first and foremost they will come in is, uh, we have a certain security compliance and operational model and policy, so you're gonna have to comply to those, right? It's very simple, so you know, you're gonna have to talk about the VPC isolation, you're gonna have to talk about network port configuration, security encryption keys, talking about IAM roles, permissions, resources, etc. single sign-on, not to mention everybody requires those. That's the first thing actually you get into. Just as you pass that stage, you're probably gonna learn, because of the enterprise, they have a process of a vet the Amazon services, so there's a list of approved service to use. Not only a list service, there are multiple services in each region. In US, you might have a list of services that tells you that S3 and um, EMR and Redshift is uh, allowed to use. You might have in the UK region is, uh, well, Redshift has still in validation, so don't use that, right? So there's a list of validated uh, services you have to go through and then make sure that you, in, in order to, to deploy your solution into those multiple regions, comply with those services. We also talked about a lot about the data. The one important piece in the life science and healthcare area is the security of the data. Be able to make sure the data is securely stored and in use, in transit, that's very important. And there are a few regulations that's been in place, right? In US, we talked a lot about HIPAA regulations to protect the patient information. And it's sometimes it applies to non, you know, PHI data as well, just for precautions. And we know in European Union, you know, starting May 2018, there is a general data protection regulation in place, which provides much more uh, regular guidance in terms of what you can use, where you can use the data, and potentially pulling the patient data out of your research environment, making them much more complex. That you have to factor in as you deploy your solution because that's, everybody's gonna ask you about the same question. And as we mentioned, this is gonna be multiple user groups using this capability. There's a lot of integration point. When we talk about the integration point, it's not like a flip, a configuration flag and you have some feature shows up. Or, okay, I'm gonna open up the port so your application can actually connect to my data, uh, data hub, getting data, or goes to my REST API those. A lot of the integration points goes into, there are researchers who has been using their um, tools for a while to do their analysis, such as SAS, or or Python, they have a preferred way of working using their tools and working with the data. Let's use SaaS as an example, right? Most of our SaaS developers prefer to use this Unix-like environment. They have a home folder, they can store some temporary scripts, they have security in place so they can share some information with other developers, and they just love that environment. So in order to enable the SaaS programmers to use this solution in the optimized way and also leverage the solution, you really need to put in some additional services such as Amazon's Elastic File System in place to give them that feel of 
using the similar environment and be able to do whatever the, the work they need to do without breaking their workflow. So if you think about the complexity of the software, the complexity of the deployment, and you add to, as convert trials, as a dev shop, we use the DevOps model, which means our engineering team is the team that's building products and also packaging product. And sometimes we got pulled into uh, a particular client's deployment to help assist the go life of the product in a client's environment. For us, we really want to use uh, you know, infrastructure of the code, self-service, so that we can give this product to our implementation teams, to our client, in a self-service fashion without us getting involved all the time. We're really looking to something that we could help us to separate our product development process from the deployment process and also protect our IP so that we do not expose all the IPs when we do a deployment in the way that can be cloud-native and enable us to do product upgrade when we need to. And that's where the service catalog comes into place. Just to recap some of the terms, because we're going to talk a little more about how we package service catalog. Um, in service catalog, there's a term called product, which essentially is that minimal unit of components that you want to use to spin up and down. All right, so that's the building block. You combine all these building blocks into portfolio. That portfolio can be used, exposed to a particular user, and you can expose multiple portfolios to a particular uh, account um, so that it can be uh, applied to security settings through the constraints, and then we'll be able to use those portfolio to spin up and down the cloud formation stacks, let's put it this way. Right. So with that in mind, Think about products like the differently is how we pro package our product into multiple products in the service catalog into a portfolio. We created two master service catalogs by the target user. We started with customer-facing service catalog. That's our primary concern, using our existing cloud formation templates. With the mature product we in place, we look into all these products our product, break them down into that, you know, building blocks of the service catalog products. We actually end up being more of those. And then we group them together. We create our cloud formation templates for those particular building blocks, and we made that work in the service catalog. And very quickly, we realized that we can leverage the same capability to help our developers leverage some of the additional capabilities we're building that might not be in the stable release date that customer can use. So in this case, we create an internal service catalog to package additional pre-release modules into that so our developer could use those in their testing environment, et cetera. It turns out to be extremely helpful. In terms of how we customize our product into every single customer's needs as a separate solution, we follow this best practice called hub and spoke model Imagine your master service catalog is your hub. You could actually export those portfolio into an individual client's AWS account as the hub. From the hub, oh, sorry, as the spoke. From the spoke, what you can do is you could 
customize that local portfolio on the spoke under that account, pulling product out, adding additional scripts, customize in the way of all the security configuration, the techno technology options, and make that tailored to a specific customer's need. Using that model also allows you to actually package your various sites of it. You know, solutions. We have customers starting with very beginning, I just want a knowledge manager layer, to the full bloom that give me everything. I have you know, 50 data scientists eager to use this. I want to actually have everything ready for them. Right. Helps you to actually get that separation of what is for the customer, what is actually my master. The hub spoke works great. We rely heavily on the cloud formation templates using the stacks, as well as actually CloudFormation template support for the service catalog. There's two cases. Right? We use CloudFormation templates to package that minimum units at building block. Right? That's the one use cases. Um, we also learned the CloudFormation template has the support so that in the template itself, you can refer to a particular product within your service catalog. What's the benefit of that? It enables my developer team to use the same CloudFormation templates pointing to a mature or you know, in-development module in the service catalog and very quickly spin that. Use the same approach of how the client will spin that, all through a click. Fundamental change the way how we think about how we're going to do our deployment. If you combine all these together in thinking about how you can actually use Service Catalog, the first thing actually I would recommend is think about what's that minimum unit that you would consider as a Service Catalog product. There are multiple ways that you can think about what's that unit looks like. We use a couple approaches I can share with you. First one is we use that as uh, looking to the capability and functional components and thinking about the dependency between those components and creating those components as the individual products into our service catalog. In this example, what you can see is we, in the data ingesting layer, we have two components. Component one, taking data from the IoTs and all those, the coming constantly through our APIs, going to the Kinesis, and land it into our data ingesting pipeline and goes into that. Component number two, we have large data sets coming through daily updates or maybe monthly updates, sometimes a full refresh and quarterly. They goes into the second approach of the batch process, landing our secure at three, trigger our lambda functions, collect the metadata, dump into our ETL, and then land in our data hub. As you can see, this is actually two independent components within the same layer. So it's a good candidate to package this as a two separate products so that you can enable the flexibility of packaging later separately. You can take another approach in terms of options available for a particular layer. This is a good example of how we package our data layer for our solutions. As I mentioned, we need to deploy this into multiple region environments, and each of the region might have a list of services that's been approved by the IT organization. So we break them down into various options. You can take my Redshift only, you can take my Redshift plus Spectrum and plus EMR, or you really want to actually do HDFS 
no problem. We can HDFS plus RDS services all together, and you can group in all these together if as needed, and it all becomes the modules that you can package. So in this case, we use CloudFormation templates making multiple options. So when we actually go into individual clients, each region, when we customize that local portfolio, we use this approach to customize that particular data layer. Now we talk, everything is complex and really a lot of things to consider. But if you package all these together, if you think through and tackle all these together, this is what you looks like in a simple, easy way for your end users and for your customers. What is products available? What can be done on this particular product? How I can actually invoke this? Right. Let's take a look at the light demo of our product server catalog. Thanks, Jinlei. Right, here we go. Awesome. So, who's scared, right? Like, oh my gosh, this is so much work. It's going to be scary as an end user. Because honestly, if you were to sit me through a meeting before I decided to invest in an RWE platform, I might be totally frightened by the idea of just the weeks and effort of mapping all these requirements. What's really cool is that I don't see that anymore. I now I'm in a world as a data scientist that I simply look at the product list here and my team can decide what use cases we want to, to configure. Maybe I only want a knowledge layer. Maybe I only want a self-service cohort builder. Maybe I just want the cool deep learning lab option. It doesn't really matter. It's all there available to me. And today, I simply pick the module that I'm looking for and in just a few clicks, it's really this easy. As I launch the product, I'm going to go through and review a little bit about what I'm about to deploy. I can make sure I'm licensing the right version that we've been talking through. And more importantly, I can review the parameters of what this configuration really looks like. And this is incredibly important to make sure that I'm using the right availability zone, that my instances map to what I believe I'm, I should be using, that it matches the approved guidance. And I have all of this here. I can simply review it quickly. I can even see how big my Redshift cluster is. And what you don't see is that if I click something that wasn't approved, it wouldn't happen. I'm, I'm really confined to what's been agreed upon. And I'm simply just confirming that this matches my understanding. I review it one more time because it's always better to measure twice and cut once. And then I simply launch it. And all of that hard work that Jinlei described is done. It's beginning to spin things up. It's going to spend some time doing all of the cloud formation templates. And if I, now let's say step out of the data scientist role, let's say I was an IT administrator, I had access to the cloud formation templates, in a matter of minutes, I could see this come online and I can see what it's actually doing. When we worked with Able last summer and started to really play with this, I actually, as a data scientist, thought this was the coolest thing ever because I could remember the weeks and weeks of effort that went into just getting to this point of having something ready to deploy. And in about a half hour, all of my EC2s will be spun up. I can actually go into the environment, begin to do an analysis, and let's say, flash forward, it's actually 30 minutes later. What would it look like to me once it's been provisioned? I simply log in, whoops, 
the beauty of live demos. Have to refresh. I would log in and begin to actually go into my workflow. And what does that mean? It means that as a scientist, I now have my hands on my actual environment to answer my questions. I'm looking at our data layer. Maybe I could search for data sets that I could get access to. Maybe I could look up and see what bioassays we have that are available from my R&D team. Maybe I could even go into some of the business rules around defining those cohorts. And it's all here at my fingertips. And this is really, really powerful because what it's saying to me is that today, I don't have to think about anything about how we got here. I'm just there, which I don't know about you, but I'm a pretty impatient person. Love to pretend I have patience, but I'm still working on it. The ability to get into the environment and just answer my question is fundamental to me. And I'm really just moving through the product suite and going straight to my questions and touching the pieces that matter to me. And that is everything. And under the hood, these are things like your, your Jupyter Hub is stood up. You have your EC2 instances for Tableau. You might have a SaaS cluster that you could connect to. I might just have, um, I might have a toolkit of other things in my data lake. I might have Lambda functions running to help profile those real world data sets. And it's all there taken out of, out of into something I can touch and feel and just think about the real questions that bother me. And with that, I think it's worth saying how much this is a win-win for everyone involved. Inherently, the delivery of getting technology into the hands of those who need it most just becomes such an arduous process. Service Catalog is allowing both the product team and the client or the end user to really just feel the benefit of that. From the product side, we're no longer trying to hunt and peck and figure out what is the upgrade you know, path for that particular client deployment. It's extremely easy. And as you just saw, it really is one click. It's really a couple of clicks, but it's not that hard. You're really going through and confirming, and you're immediately getting access to the tools that matter to you. Game changer, right? Not having to have to negotiate with your end users, making it easy for them to touch it. I think that that is appealing to a lot of stakeholders. And what's really important is that packaging and tailoring because I might not have that much budget to be able to do all of these amazing aspirations I have. I might have to do a proof of concept to show the value of being able to get into SageMaker. Maybe I have to do a little study and we do you know, one therapeutic area that we know is very finite. And then we grow and we use it and then we can deploy as I get the funding, as I make the business case for the technology. And that is everything because we don't live in a world of infinite resources and that can often be a barrier to innovation. But now I can get a snack size and prove to everyone we need the full size. And what I think is really cool is that it allows me to tap into innovation quicker. I don't have to get caught up in some of the configuration pieces. I can simply think through the use cases that are important to me. So as I mentioned, SageMaker, you know, it's amazing, it's a great tool, but as a data scientist, I don't really wanna spin it up myself. I just kinda wanna click a button and have it available and have my IT team approve it. And that's the beauty of this today, it's really plugging into that. And as other technologies come online, as we heard all of those announcements in the data layer, I might be able to take advantage of that and I might be able to really continue to to scale down how much it's costing me to run this compute 
so that I can then have it on a wider user base and use the money for you know what matters, advancing the science. Pretty cool, I think, but who am I? I'm just an epidemiologist at a technology conference. And I do think that it's worth saying it was a non-trivial thing to get here. And it's been a journey that has taught us many things. I think Jin Lei can definitely speak from an engineering standpoint, some of the pain that he's felt. I definitely learned uh, one thing or two as we're going through this in the past uh, nine months. Okay. Um, first and foremost, think about the modular. And think about that very minimal units that you want to package those. That's what we spent lots of time to refine those. Was it not as a by components, go into a layer, or a full microservice stock from you know, APIs to microservice to the storage? Okay. That's you have to think carefully and make sure your cloud formation templates actually was created that way. Save you lots of time. I would say the second piece is we paid lots of attention later on that was actually the security and governance and everything associated with your deployment. Okay. Make sure you create your script and you document your IAM role policy, etc., together with your product and put in the same place so that when you need it, you can either automate it or provide it to your cloud um, center of excellence team or IT team so they know exactly what they need to do to deploy that particular component. It's very important that you also start from something small. We as an engineer team had the habit of uh, taking the most complicated to do a POC. So we took the one component that usually takes about it a week for us to configure and do all these, including security, as a starting point. And we scared the engineering team <laughs> quite a bit in terms of actually do all these and make all these work together. Now looking back, I feel like it will be much easier we'll just do something small and get your engineering team and release engineer feel comfortable with this approach, and then more and more stuff can be built on. Just something that you, you, know, you learn. Um, there's another important piece that I would like to highlight. Okay. As much as Kristen, as a data scientist, excited about getting all these compute and APIs and all these available for her to do her work, there's a cost of socialism. You do not want to have that stack keep running when there's no jobs running, right? when there's no user doing it. So think about how do you tear down or monitor those, or when you're building that stuff, make sure your cloud watch trails and all that you place. That will help you a lot, because you don't really want to see a big bill when you have 50 data scientists all spinning up all these after their fingertips and getting a huge uh, uh, shock. There's other pieces that we learned that's actually connect with our service catalog team for lots of support, because we have a few you know, specific requirements we really want to, um, you know, address, and we got a lot of help from our search catalog team. Yeah, we're very fortunate that, you know, in life sciences and healthcare, there's a lot of things that are quite unique to our industry, and I think there are a lot of analogs in other industries, and Abel and his team have been very receptive to things we said, we just have to do it this way, it's just the way the world spins where we sit, and they've really taken this to heart and helped make it easy for us and it's a journey because I think we learn more as we go and every deployment we learn something new. And it's important to have that transparency that's bi-directional because that's the only way that this works. You have to really be two in a box and committed to success together. And that's really our takeaway. It's that having service catalog as part of our, our approach to go to market 
it enables rapid deployment. So as you saw, I'm getting my hands on the tools really quickly. And I can promise you, I've been in data science for a bit, and it hasn't always been that easy. And it can be very difficult. But it's really important to make it easy. It's important to embrace the security layer and the governance piece that's a non-trivial part of my particular industry. And it's something you just have to kind of take it to heart and roll with because it's not going to change. We're talking about patient lives and this data is so, so sensitive. It's really important we tackle that at every piece of the process. But it's also important to have fun and be flexible and scalable. And it is true, I do send Jinlay a lot of requests asking for you know what I want for Christmas and it's a lot of GPU hours. And then he usually uh -huh. cuts it down and says, here's a couple CPU hours. But it's important to be flexible and scalable and maybe that joke resonates with you. But it's important to have this be able to spin and to grow with the, the, the science that you're supporting. And that's, to me, the coolest thing about some of our end users, some of our epidemiologists who don't consider themselves technologists, who are touching these tools, who are building models, who are creating these great insights in different complex diseases. And at, at the end of the day, they're just feeling that ease. So with that, I have to thank Abel for inviting us to be a customer. We've had such a great time. Well, well thank, thank you. Uh, again, my voice is really bad, but thank you, Jin Lee and Christine. I want to go back to the beginning. When, when I first started talking, I talk about two things. And if you remember, was agility. And that's the agility that the cloud promises. And all the, along the way, what they have been describing is how they went from this very complex healthcare and life science application with very critical data, extremely critical data for patients uh, from weeks. And in the case study that we did together, it was about three weeks, right? Correct, yes. From three weeks deployment to 45 minutes deployment. So that's very impressive. But that agility cannot happen if you have to do all that automation and the checks and the boundaries around um, security, compliance, the customer's need. And each customer is unique, right? Julia addressed that, right? You would go to customer A, they would have very specific needs. Customer B will have completely different needs. But you can achieve that agility with a tool like AWS Service Catalog if, as they did, and regardless of the industry, right, this happens to be a healthcare and life sciences example, but whether it's financial services, whether it's manufacturing or something else, the tactics are the same. The outcomes will be slightly different, but the tactics will be, will be the same. And AWS Service Catalog can allow you to do that. We're down to about four minutes. My colleagues here, thank you again very much for your partnership. This has been phenomenal. I've loved working with you guys for the last nine months or so, and I hope that we continue to do that. For the last few minutes, we will be here in front answering your questions, if you have any. Thank you very much. <laughs>